So indeed, here we are at the end of John's Gospel. We have journeyed from the beginning through miracles or signs and stories that don't show up in any other Gospel, through his very unique telling of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've learned what to look for. We now know John's major themes, themes that were all laid out in that first chapter, in the prologue of that chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and the Word pitched its tent among us. By now we know that believing means a relationship with Jesus, and that life with him means abundant life in the here and now. Life filled with overflowing grace. If ever there was a story about Jesus that put a claim to his humanity and his divinity, to his incarnation, it is this story of John's. And now today, after that human life has ended, he shows up on the shores of the lake, dropping right back into the ordinary, everyday life of his friends. If you recall, he's shown up at a wedding, at the town well, at a funeral, at a dinner party, at all sorts of everyday, ordinary places and events of life. And it seems his pattern continues even after death. Today, he's going out to breakfast with his friends. Talk about the ordinary stuff of life. Of course, this is no ordinary breakfast. The guys have been fishing all night, yet they can't seem to catch a darn thing. And then this stranger on the shore shouts out, have you tried the other side of the boat? I can always just picture all of them in the boat looking at each other and saying, what difference will that make? But over the other side goes the net, and what happens? Well, what do we expect to happen in this gospel? The nets fill to overflowing with an abundance of fish, kind of like wine at a wedding. So many huge fish, they can hardly haul the net. So much of the best wine you've ever tasted, you will never stop talking about that wedding. Do you see what is happening here? This gospel begins and ends with tales of abundance, visceral, delicious, tangible abundance. Now, in true fashion, the guys don't recognize the stranger on the shore, and we're used to this by now, right? The resurrected Christ is unrecognizable at first, but in the calling of a name in a garden, in the showing of the marks of death in a locked room, and now in the abundance of fish in a net, Christ is recognized. And as Mary cried out on Easter, I have seen the Lord. Today on the water, the beloved disciple cries out in recognition, it is the Lord. And then they join Jesus and celebrate in the way people have come together and celebrated for eons over a meal. And it is probably the best breakfast on the beach in history. Daybreak, after a night of frustrating fishing, followed by a catch that makes every other fisherman's tail look lame, and a reunion with your dearest friend, who you thought was dead, who you thought you would never see again. It is the overflowing abundance of grace upon grace that we have come to expect. And lest we forget that, well, then this story ends with Peter and Jesus reconciling their relationship. Remember poor Peter? 
who just a few nights ago, on that night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Peter's fears and doubts had gotten the better of him, and three times that night he was asked, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And three times that night, poor, lost Peter denied it. I can't begin to imagine how his heart ached when his dear friend died, knowing that the last things Peter had said about him were words of disavowal. I imagine that in each encounter with the resurrected Jesus, Peter wonders if Jesus knows of his cowardice, his inability to stand up for his teacher and friend. I imagine him standing in the upper room, warily watching from the back and wondering, will Jesus accuse me, question me, tell me how much he was hurt by my denials? But of course, divine love doesn't do that. Divine love instead gives Peter and all of us a chance to merely affirm love right back. Three times, one for each denial. Christ asks Peter, do you love me? That simple. No other explanation needed, just do you love me? And three times Peter gets to say yes, yes indeed. Now, the risen Jesus doesn't just take the answer yet, yes, but affirms it by giving Peter something to do with that love. In our day and age, we would say he charges Peter with a ministry. And once again, John shows us that a relationship with Jesus is the goal and that each one of us will have these moments when we have to decide for ourselves, is this what we want? Do we want to say yes and pick up the ministry? And then the book, the whole book, ends with even more abundance. Jesus did many other things not recorded here. In fact, so many other things that if all of them were recorded, there wouldn't be enough scrolls in the world to contain them all abundance of Jesus himself. And this year, it's that closing thought that is really pulling at my heart. What are all those things that all the books of the world couldn't contain if they were written down? Well, I think they just may be all the resurrection stories of the centuries all those places where new life has been found after a death of some sort. In other words, our resurrection stories would fill scroll upon scroll upon scroll. Because resurrection stories are not relegated to those 50 days that the risen Christ walked the earth. Resurrection stories are around all of us every day. Christ Divine love is right in front of us, and yet we miss it. It is too easy for us to not be aware of the presence of the risen living God. But divine love is everywhere. We just need to open our eyes and our ears like the disciples in the boat, like Mary in the garden. Because for John, divine love is not in some far-off heavenly place separate from us. 
No, heaven is here. Eternal life is now. And that means resurrection stories are indeed ours as well as those earliest disciples. The truth of the incarnation is that heaven is here. And so knowing that God is always up to a new thing, knowing that God's ways are not our ways, knowing that God can bring redemption and resurrection out of any and all suffering that we might endure, that is the good news of the gospel. And for me, it doesn't get any better than that. Now the truth is we must be open to the redemptive work of God in our lives. We cannot lock the doors to God. We cannot insist that we stay imprisoned in our suffering. We cannot deny the interruptions of the divine on our behalf. Well, what are some modern-day resurrection stories, you might ask me? The first one that comes to my mind is Travis Mills. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's an Afghanistan war veteran who lost all of his limbs on the battlefield and now runs a totally accessible and free retreat home in Maine for wounded warriors. My own cousin was one of the medical team that treated him on the battlefield, and she says not only did she never in a million years think he would survive, but now to see all that he has accomplished and continues to give back to the world, she continues to be humbled every day. In our church world, for me personally, I think of Rob Bell. You may have heard of him. He's a youngish pastor from Michigan. He grew his small church in Michigan to the 10,000-member Mars Hill Bible Church. 10,000 meaning on a Sunday morning, that was the attendance. Only to be reduced to the ashes by the evangelical church world when his heart opened to everyone and he dared to think that it might be possible for God to save everyone. He was kicked out faster than you can imagine. But guess what? He is now a happy and successful author, podcaster, and surfing teacher out in California, and he still uses the Bible as his main teaching tool. But there are less spectacular resurrection stories everywhere in our own sanctuary here, all around us, in our families and our friends. I consider my own life an example. Dashed upon the rocks of a spectacularly failed marriage, my life today looks nothing like it did 25 years ago. Every aspect of my life has been reborn in an amazing and life-giving way. It wasn't easy to get through it. In fact, it was a lot like going through hell. But the living Christ journeyed it all with me, and indeed, resurrection was waiting for me beyond the tomb of what my life had been. I also think of the young couple that Scott and I had over for dinner at our home last night. After losing two babies in a row at 19 weeks of pregnancy, they have risen from the ashes of despair, and they even used the word resurrection last night to describe their lives since those sadnesses overwhelmed them. Resurrection stories are everywhere. Now, what I find really fascinating about the Rob Bell story is that he connected his success at Mars Hill Bible Church to the telling of resurrection stories. 
He built that church on the idea that the story of Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago was not the end of the story. It was just the beginning. And so Rob told resurrection stories, and now the way I hear his story, he has his own resurrection tale to add to the pile. And I think these are the stories that the writer John is referencing when he says, all the things Jesus did would fill scroll upon scroll upon scroll, and the story continues. Resurrection stories indeed surround us, but we need to be willing to share them, to witness to them, and as hard as it may be to allow God to do the work of resurrection within us, it may be even harder to do this witnessing piece. How in the world do we find words to share these experiences, this transformation we can go through? How do we find the courage to speak of these things without feeling foolish? Well, St. Paul said we needed to be a fool for Christ. As crazy as the cross was in his day and time, it is even more so now. What looked like the utter failure, the crucifixion of your leader, was in reality the gateway to the greatest gift of divine love. But we live in a culture that shuns failure and suffering even more so than 2,000 years ago. We do all we can to keep it at bay, avoid suffering, control the circumstances of our lives, thinking that we can create safety and security. The living Christ asks us, Will you believe after looking at my wounds that I am here to redeem your suffering? Will you witness to the world that there is new life after death? Will you unlock the doors of your heart and let me in? Jesus' resurrection is so much more than a past event that we celebrate once a year or the promise of a future life after we die. No, it is a daily occurrence. That resurrection is the assurance that no matter what we suffer here and now, the risen Christ is waiting to offer us peace, to bring us healing, waiting for us to see him and walk into a new life here with him. So I ask you, if you have a resurrection story of your own, share it. Tell others about times in your life that you thought the story was over, but it wasn't. Give people who are walking a path that you have been on the assurance that Christ walks with them, that there may indeed very well be a light at the end of the tunnel. It might just be a different tunnel. Tell them that life will not always be the way it is. Because yes, we too are called by Christ to witness to these things, to fill scroll upon scroll upon scroll with resurrection stories. Amen.